Natural disasters are happening coast to coast and our church is responding. What's a good Bible translation or study Bible and are you called to catechize? And what's the church's stance on funerals and cremations today in light of COVID? These topics and more coming up next. Welcome to A View from the Top with Bishop Gregory Parks, Bishop of the Diocese of St. Petersburg. A View from the Top is a candid and hopeful conversation on current events that affect our church, our community, and our country. Now, here's Bishop Parks and the General Manager of Spirit FM, John Morris. Bishop, we have finished our first weekend of football. (laughs) And you're looking good despite the teams that we follow. They, They struggled a bit. You know how true, John, while I'm glad that football is back the first weekend for my teams didn't go so well that being the the bucks here in tampa bay as well as uh, fsu both got off to kind of rough starts but as our listeners know and as i've said before i'm a hopeful person so it's only week one hoping things will turn around quickly well bishop up in the panhandle and even out west with the fires we've seen many natural disasters the hurricanes that have affected uh Texas and now uh, North Florida, Alabama, Mississippi, and our diocese and our faithful have always been generous in helping their neighbors in need. Boy, isn't isn't that true? The faithful of the Diocese of St. Petersburg and and even other dioceses in, in which I have served respond in a very, very generous way when it comes to helping others, whether it's a, a natural disaster here locally or in our state or in our region, in our country, but also even around the world. I, I think about some of the earthquakes in Haiti, for example, and the the storms that they've had and the tsunamis around the world, things of that nature. Whenever we go to our people and ask for help, they respond in a most generous way. Well, I know that our diocese has responded with help for Uh, those victims from Hurricane Laura and now Hurricane Sally. What are the plans for the diocese? Sure. So here in the Diocese of St. Petersburg, we have a diocesan disaster relief fund. So rather than taking up individual collections for a particular storm, because lately we could be doing that about every other week or so, we just do a general collection for disaster relief. And what that allows me to do as the bishop and us to do as a diocese is to respond immediately after a disaster happens. So rather than having to wait weeks to, to collect the money, we have a little bit of a reserve, which I can send a check to the bishop directly to him for immediate needs in in their diocese there. And that's what we did in both the Diocese of Lake Charles and in the Diocese of Beaumont, who experienced the wrath of Hurricane Laura. And of course, just recently, we had Hurricane Sally, which hit the Gulf Coast region, three three different states at least, including in the panhandle of Florida. So I've been in, had some initial conversation with uh, Bishop Walk up in Pensacola, Tallahassee, my former diocese, and they were hit pretty hard up there, both some wind damage as well as flood damage. So we will be providing assistance to them. And it's not just uh, here in our own state, but I was looking at the numbers Uh, over the last fiscal year even, and uh, the diocese was very generous to the Archdiocese of Nassau. I mean, it seems like it was more than a year ago, but remember, Nassau, and well, not Nassau per se, but the islands of the Bahamas were, in some parts, obliterated by the hurricane from last year. 
Yeah, that's that's so true. And so we were able to, to help them out with some financial assistance, with rebuilding, and just providing basic human needs, as well as Puerto Rico. That's another area that's gotten hit very hard recently. I know since I've been bishop here, we've uh, been able to provide financial assistance on two different occasions to Puerto Rico to help the, the people there. Uh, will the diocese be doing anything uh, immediately? And, and how do we repay and keep that fund going? Sure. Thanks, John. That's a great question. And so I, I just authorized or asked our parishes to take up a collection for the General Disaster Relief Fund here in our diocese. So in the probably in the coming weeks or, or month, you might see that in your parish community, them taking up that collection. I encourage you to to be generous if you're able to, uh, if you're not able to, because of your own financial constraints at this time, then just please remember all those affected in prayer. And as always, you can go to our diocesan website, dosp.org, to make an online contribution to the Disaster Relief Fund there. As we transition to our next topic, these churches, parishes get destroyed, and it breaks up the life of the parish. The life of the parish, though, still goes on even without maybe a building. People meet in homes, meet in places wherever they can gather, and not only to celebrate the sacraments, but also to help catechize. And this past weekend was Catechetical Sunday. And can you talk a little bit about what Catechetical Sunday is and its importance? Well, it, it coincides pretty much with the beginning of the school year or the academic year, which we <laughs> coincide with our faith formation year or catechetical year. So during the summer months, most parishes take uh, two or three months where you know people are on vacation, staff members are going away. So unfortunately, that ministry takes a little vacation itself in a formal sense. But, but once we get to September, October, we restart. And one of the things we want to do at the beginning of the year is to recognize our catechists, to thank them, and also to give them a blessing as they engage in the important work of catechesis here in our diocese. You know, we we believe as Catholics that parents are the primary faith educators of their children. That responsibility falls upon them when they have their when they have children and have them baptized. They accept the responsibility of training them, of bringing them up in the faith. But we also recognize that they might need some assistance with that, particularly with sacramental preparation. And so the church has catechetical or faith formation sacramental ministries to assist parents in that role. So I'm sitting in the pew, and my pastor says, we're looking for a third and fourth grade catechist. If you'd like to volunteer, please see me after church. And there's a tinge of, I want to help. I don't feel adequate. I don't know that I'm the right one for the job. But the diocese has an office that can help train and equip the volunteers and even the parishes at that level. Sure. So uh, I agree. Sometimes people are hesitant to get involved or to volunteer because they don't think they are qualified. But I can tell you that to, to be a catechist for one of our earlier grades, for example, you, you don't have to have a master's degree in theology to do that. Hopefully you're a faith-filled person. You have knowledge of our faith. But we have resources that we can provide you with to assist you in learning more about our faith so that you can teach children about the faith. And we, of course, have printed materials and books and videos and things that we use to teach our children. So you're not alone. We're there to help and support you. And if somebody feels that that the Lord may be calling them to engage in that ministry, 
Don't let fear keep you away from doing that. You know, speak with your parish's director of faith formation or even call our diocese here and uh, they can provide you with more information. And remember, you will be answering the call as I look at the banner right behind us, Courageously Living the Gospel. It gives you courage to proclaim, invite, and encounter. And I can guarantee you this, if you do get involved, you will encounter the love of God and you'll be inviting people, you'll be helping to proclaim, and educating yourself. I, you know, if you're a teacher, you know, I, I taught years ago, probably 20 some odd, 30 years ago, and I learned more by having to prepare in that preparation time. So I think it's a worthy a worthy goal. It is. As you said, you always learn something. I even do. If, when I've had to teach classes or give a talk at a parish, it requires preparation. And, and inevitably, I find out something I never thought about or, or learned. So it's a good opportunity for each of us to continue learning and growing in our faith. But also, you know, think about the great gift of teaching the faith to a child. They're current Catholics, part of the church, but they're also the future of the church. And to pass along the gift of faith to them and understanding of our faith, what a blessing you're providing to them to help them as they go forward in life. Okay, so a parent might say, well, listen, I send my child to XYZ Catholic school. Shouldn't they be getting the, I mean, they're taking a faith class, they're taking a religious ed class or or an Old Testament class. What's the difference between that and the religious ed class at the church? Well, first of all, our Catholic schools are a great gift and blessing in our diocese that we can provide good quality faith-based Catholic education to those who desire it. But for those who aren't able to or make the choice not to send their children to Catholic school, we also want to teach the Catholic faith to their children as well. So really, the faith is the faith. You're not learning one thing in Catholic school and something different through faith formation at our parishes. It's just uh, where the learning happens. So because our Catholic school students learn about our Catholic faith on a daily, weekly basis in their Catholic schools, we don't require them to take additional faith formation classes. But hopefully, whether they go to Catholic school or go to public school or another private school, what they learn is enforced, reinforced at home, both by word and example. Heard through the grapevine that the diocese is getting ready to move forward with a new cemetery. Uh, We have currently Calvary Catholic Cemetery, which which is a very beautiful piece of land over in the Clearwater Largo area. And I want to talk more about the new one in a moment, but why is the need for a Catholic cemetery, in air quotes? Yeah, so we have Catholic cemeteries or cemeteries in general uh, because we're called to respect God's creation, which includes the human body. And in order to do that, we need to bury bodies in a dignified and respectful manner. So the church uh, diocese very often will have a diocesan cemetery, as you mentioned, that's Calvary uh, in Pinellas County, that allows the faithful to do that. And there's a variety of, of burial options there. But it's sacred ground. You know, it's ground that's been blessed. Prayers and masses are said there at that location. And it does provide a, a proper spiritual and faith-filled environment to people for people to lay their loved ones to rest. When a diocese is created that they have a Catholic cemetery, back in the day maybe having a where you just had Catholics buried, that's not the case today, is it? It's common for dioceses or archdioceses to have at least one 
diocesan Catholic cemetery. But in the past, what was more common was for people to be buried on the grounds of their parish church. Yeah, that's what so I you would have parish cemeteries, which would be established. And there are still some of those. I, I'm thinking back to when I was in the Diocese of Pensacola, Tallahassee, somewhat rural area, particularly in the central part of the diocese. And, you know, there weren't a lot of large cemeteries close by to where people were living. So a number of the parishes there would have parish cemetery where they could, could lay their loved ones to rest and then go to visit right. uh, them and to pray for them. Again, used to be the church frowned on or didn't allow cremations, or at least that's what I heard. I was talking with a, a cemetery official the other day, and he was telling me that that's we're seeing a lot more these days. We sure are, and, and you're correct. I mean, when we go back many years, you know, cremation wasn't permitted for Catholics or wasn't endorsed. But today it is an acceptable form of burial with a number of uh, things that we have to keep in mind. One is that we should never cremate somebody out of a, a negative attitude towards the body itself, like the body has to be destroyed or <laughs> returned to ashes because it's bad or evil. Again, the principle is always uh, that we respect God's creation, the human body, and that we treat it in a respectful and dignified way, uh, even after death, and particularly after death. So the church does permit creation. Some families uh, make that decision for financial reasons, perhaps, or mobility. You know, they move quite a bit, and so they don't want to bury a person in a particular place, though that's what the church would recommend, as opposed to keeping the cremains at home. So the diocese has got this piece of land, Calvary Catholic Cemetery, in Pinellas County, but we are a five-county area, and now we're looking, I've heard for years, trying to put something in Hillsborough County. It looks like that day is coming. Sure is, John, and you mentioned kind of breaking news, so this may be the first time that our listeners are hearing this, but for a number of years, our diocese has wanted to establish or, or to build a Catholic cemetery in Hillsborough County. And so it's a quite a long and very involved process with getting the permissions to and certifications and licenses and all that to be able to make it a reality. Happy to say that we're moving forward, that we have received everything we need to begin construction. The cemetery, which will be known as Resurrection Cemetery, is going to be located at the intersection of I-4 and I-75, literally right at that intersection. And um, we're hoping to be able to begin meeting with families or individuals regarding arrangements at that cemetery, maybe as early as spring of next year. Oh, wow. So that, that is coming. And what corner of the interstate is it on? Have you been out there? I, I believe it's on a plot of land, which is on the southwest corner. So if you're heading okay. east on I-4, as you get off the exit, uh, I believe it would be off to the right okay. uh, as you exit off of I-4. Uh, it's quite a large site, and uh, but we're hoping initially to have a kind of a welcome center, where um, reception center where people can come to meet with uh, one of the staff there to discuss the cemetery. We'll have you know, images of what's being built there and what's available to families, the different options for burial. So uh, if anyone is interested, keep taught, keep tuned and, and we'll keep you informed sure. as, as that develops. Uh, in the creed every week, the resurrection of the body. That means a lot of different things. I mean, we talk about Jesus being resurrected, but also we believe in our own resurrection at the end of time. And that has to do with 
you talk about the dignified internment of people when they pass. What's the church's rule on scattering of ashes? Well, again, that's something that the church would not look favorably upon. In fact, we would say that it should be avoided. It should not be done, uh, again, because it's not treating the ashes, in, I think, in a dignified or you know respectful manner. You know, you think somebody may have liked you know the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, so they want their ashes scattered on the field at Raymond James Stadium. I, I don't think anybody would say that that's a dignified way. It might be something that people like or maybe mm-hmm. what the person wanted, but it's not respecting God's creation, specifically the human body. But we also know that many people die in very tragic uh, ways uh, and their body is never recovered. I think about families from September 11th, you know, from that tragedy in New York City. I think there were the many bodies were not able to be recovered after that because the scope of the of that horrific attack, and so we entrust them to the Lord, you know, and that was through no fault of those individuals or their families, but what we do know is that God calls us to the resurrection, and that He has the power to do that. I've got to ask this question: Do dogs and cats go to heaven? <laughs> John, you know, I that's put you in a corner. I know. <laughs> no, no, no. It's a, it's a good question. And actually, it's one that I've received, particularly when I visit our Catholic schools. Sometimes when we open it up for, you know, questions for the bishop or, sure. or for the priest, that'll come up. Uh, you know, pets and animals, you know, they're such beloved members of our family. I mean, they, they become part of our sure. family. And uh, so in a very human sense, we would like to think that like our loved ones who pass away, that we'll see them one day and, and we'll be with our pets, reunited with our pets again in heaven. I remember a, a young boy asked me that question. He said, um, he said, Bishop, you know, my, my dog just died and uh, is he going to go to heaven? And I was thinking, well, I, you know, I, I need to try to answer his question, but I don't want to, you know, crush him or, or make him cry. Sure. So I said, well, I said, I think, you know, well, if that's what God wants, then I don't see any reason why it couldn't happen. But really, we, we believe that heaven is a place for us, for God's, for human creation, and that the animals, while they're beloved members of our family, they become part of our lives, but they're not resurrected to, to heaven as, as we will be. Well, speaking speaking of heaven and resurrection, we're called to study the Bible. And last uh, last time we recorded, we were talking about different books of the Bible, the Deuterocanonical books, and so forth. What's a good study Bible? This kind of question came in following that. Yeah. So there's many different ones uh, that are available to the faithful. A couple things I would say before I answer the question is, first of all, you since there are so many Bibles that are out there, if you go to a a bookstore like a Barnes and Noble or something of that nature. I don't even know if they have those anymore. I know. But everybody seems to shop online. But if you were to to go to Amazon, for example, and just say search for Bible, you're going to get a lot of different uh, choices available. But you want to make sure it's a Catholic Bible for the reasons that we spoke about previously, that it would have the correct number of books in the Bible, which for Catholics would be 73, and that they, they are you know the inspired Word of God. So, But uh, to answer your question, I have a number of different ones that I use. There's the Catholic Study Bible, which is kind of a, a classic classical one that many people have, and I think we were even required to have it in seminary when I was in formation there. I also use the Navarre Bible, which has a very good commentary 
library incorporating not only scripture, but reflections by church fathers and different encyclicals or writings of the church. It's even Latin. That's a, <laughs> that's a great one as well. There's the Revised Standard Version, Catholic Edition, which is a, is a nice one. And then there's different Bibles that have recently come out. Uh, I think about the Bible Timeline by Jeff Cavins, okay. the great, I think it's called the Great Adventure Bible Timeline. And they have a separate Bible that they developed to correspond to that Bible study. And it's color coded and has all kinds of notes and maps and things of that nature. When I'm doing scripture prep and reflection, I usually use at least two or three to pull the different translations just to see how is this scripture translated and sometimes you've got to be careful because what is the real meaning behind the translation what's the official bible of the catholic church that we use here in america well that's again it's kind of an interesting question i i would say that the bible that we use for the readings that are used at mass in our liturgies so daily mass as well as sunday uh, is the new american bible And so that's the translation that would most closely correspond to Bibles that we may have at home. But other Bibles are certainly acceptable to use for our personal devotion and prayer, as well as our study. I've heard some people say, well, I read the Bible a second time, cover to cover. Is that the way we should read the Bible or wherever the wherever you, it opens up, that's what God's called me to read? <laughs> well, John, I guess uh, before answering the question, I, I would say, first of all, that we are called to read the Bible. Right. And that's something that Catholics uh, over the centuries and even the decades have not done very well at. In fact, I remember my grandparents telling me that they were told not to read the Bible because they might misinterpret or misunderstand something in it huh. since they weren't trained in, in biblical theology or just theology in general. I, I find that hard to believe, but, right. but that was a prevalent attitude when, when they were growing up. But today we are called to study God's Word, and it's it's not something that we as Catholics do very well. I think our uh, Protestant and Christian, uh, other Christian denominational brothers and sisters emphasize the Word, God's Word, much more than we do. Of course, it's part of our liturgy, but you don't see many Catholics bringing their Bibles to Mass, for example. Uh, but many of our parishes do have great Bible studies, and I would encourage people to contact your local parish to see what study might be available to you. I had a, well, one pastor tell me that he's writing the Bible out. In other words, He's transcribing it in order to help get know the know the scriptures better, but uh, you know I I've honestly I've got a cousin who has named every one of their children based on where the scriptures open up. So we've got an Abraham, I've got an Ezekiel, uh, and there's a, I can't even remember all the cousins' names. There's another one in there. It's it's an odd one, another odd Old I don't Testament. Know, maybe name. it's Zerubbabel. No, <laughs> not that. It's not that. I mean, there's some interesting names right. that you could could land on there. So you have to be careful with that sure. methodology. But I would um, say my memory growing up is that in our home we had a a family Bible on the coffee table in the living room and. Uh, kind of sorry to say it didn't get open very often it was just there and i remember inside my memory is that it had our family genealogy in right. there uh, we as, well the as, as well as the birthdays and dates that family members passed away but it wasn't really till i was in my i would say young adulthood that i really became interested in studying god's word and reading it and now i use it actually quite a bit at mass you know i i preach with the bible if people have seen me preaching if i don't always refer to it i usually at least have it in my hands 
because I, I think there's power in God's word. And so to hold God's word in your hands while you're preaching about it is a source of strength for me. I'm going to throw something out there and see if you remember it, because I do. How our society's changed. When I used to go to the pediatrician as a child, they would have a, a child's Bible in the lobby. You remember that? I do. Had I pictures do. and mostly Old Testament, Adam and Eve stuff. Well, I had one of those Bibles, and in fact, I still do. It's the one that I grew up with as a child, kept in my room. It was blue, I think. It was. Uh, <laughs> it was very interesting to look at because I liked the pictures. Me too. And of course, the stories were interesting, and they were very short and understandable. Which is, to get back to a point you made, should we just open up the cover of the Bible and start on page one, you know, and just read from beginning from Genesis to Revelation? That's one method that people use to read the Bible, but I'm not sure it's the best. If somebody has never really studied the Bible, something I I might suggest other than maybe a book or some online information about just in general what the Bible is, how it's organized, the difference between the Old Testament and New Testament, would be to start with the Sunday readings. So you're going to Mass this Sunday, you're going to hear the readings proclaimed from sacred scripture, both usually from the Old Testament, the New Testament, and then one of the Gospels. That would be a good place to start in preparation for going to Mass, is do a little bit of study on the readings that you're going to be hearing that coming weekend. Not only will you learn something, but I think it'll make the homily that weekend uh, more relevant and interesting. And usually they're all tied together. There's some sort of theme within the the three readings uh, anyway to to tie it all together. Yeah, I, I just think things times have changed to where people don't want to proclaim, invite, and encounter in the doctor's office or you know maybe even in the home as, as they should. Yeah, you know, I wish, you know, as you know, when you go into a hotel sometimes, you see uh, the, Gideon the, the Gideon, the Jehovah Witnesses have put a Bible in there and kind of wish sometimes I would open the drawer and see a Catholic Bible. That would right. be a great thing. You know, one of the, the great blessings of being Catholic and attending Mass uh, during the week and certainly every weekend is that over a three-year period, because of the cycle of readings that we use in our liturgy, you read so much and hear so much about sacred scripture. But I would say that that if we're merely listening to God's word when we come to church, rather than reading it ourselves, praying about it and studying it, we're, we're just fasting on God's word. We're called to feast on the word of God and to use it in our lives. Well, as we close up our time here together today, would you pray for us to have that, that courage, that strength, and, and provide us with the time to be able to feast on God's word. Of course, let us pray. God, our Father, we thank you for your many blessings. We thank you for your presence in our lives. And we thank you for sacred scripture, for your word, which speaks to us even today, though it was written in history. May we study your word so that we may come to know you more fully in our lives and that we may use your word to live the lives that you have called us and created us to live. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. For more with Bishop Parks, including past programs, his social media accounts, and ways to subscribe to this podcast, visit dosp.org bishop. A View from the Top is a production of Spirit FM 90.5 and the Communications Office of the Catholic Diocese of St. Petersburg. A View from the Top is made possible by the annual Pastoral Appeal and listeners like you. Thank you for your support.